yes. So, so actually, um, we have to put them in, uh, they need to be public documents right. so that okay. surveyors can see, but we try to be careful, I don't, we try to be careful about not putting too much detail into the public documents, but, they, but we do need to publish them. But we would like to have discussion in closed session so you can drill down um, into some details that we don't want to necessarily publicly so disclose. So I just closed closed session. Um, and I had a question on two of those items. So well, I you can sure. go back in. Well, okay. I, my questions are, I'm okay getting answers to those next month. Okay. Okay, but I, I do think that, that we need to make sure that on the agenda in closed session we do have the ability to question. I, I, I agree. I, I just, uh, I think there were, I had connected with the team on where this element was. So, yeah, I saw it in both, so it wasn't. Yeah, I, I, I saw it in both, so. Uh, and we're give recommendations to us, please. Yes. Um, for these reports out, report outs. We can make space if we pick up for about five minutes at the back end of this, but uh, we uh, we have an option to go back into closed session and we'll lose us a little bit of time yes. or push it to, to July. Um, I feel comfortable and confident that we are proactively following these things. Okay. Um, but I would defer to the trustees of the if you have any urgent areas that uh, need to be explored. I would like to make a comment if I might. Uh, I, because I have seen these reports over the period, a long period of yes. time, uh, I think that what you have put here was very easy to understand. Correct. Good. And I thought it was very well presented. Thank you for so, that. To me, I thought this was the kind of report. The piece that I saw we may want to look at, you may want to look at, is uh, whether or not there are trends that occur and how you are monitoring those trends. And so that for me, you know, there were a, there were a couple things that we have heard before. Yes. Uh, they might be different people, but that to me says there's a systematic issue as opposed to an employee or, or right. process, I mean, an individual issue. So uh, I would think it really behooves you as a committee to have some column in which, or some reporting out that says, you know, this has never occurred before, or mm. this is the fourth time, and as a result, we've had to do the following. Um, that to me, I think, would would make this a more robust and and help you monitor whether or not the system needs to make some some monitoring changes in training or whether or not it's a physical change in right. where you locate people. So at any rate, that was my thought. So, so with that, the, the, those reports are nicely written and are included in the packet. I agree that there's clarity on them. I, I will uh, defer this to a, a closed session discussion. Um, Tenbeer, if you and I can discuss before the next uh, before the next UPSC. Dr. J will be on vacation at the next house, so we'll square away a few minutes for compliance in the, the safety report. And sorry, Adrian, if we can bring uh, these matters back, and then I'd be happy to just ask these questions and follow questions. So, Ronna, can we can we bring the, the this, these items, these documents, back to the next uh, QPSC? Is that acceptable? If we are okay with time. I mean, the team here still we don't have we can go five minutes to have because uh, if it is a question, maybe we can go five minutes and answer those questions. It's not urgent. I'm fine. So in the interest of time, I'm fine. These are not urgent questions. Okay. Well, we'll do They're more general questions. Okay, very good. And for the sake of simplicity, what we'll do is in our next reports, we'll just combine.
this month and next month we have one single document that spans the time frame. We will include uh, the recommendation um, from Trustee Lawrence as well. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We value these questions, that's why you know, these questions are extremely yes. important for us because yes. these want to give us an opportunity and different perspective okay. how we yeah. yeah. Is that acceptable, Dr. J? Yeah, yeah. I, I will not be here, but okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. okay. With that, uh, let's open up with item B, uh, the consent agenda, motion to approve. So moved. Second. Uh, uh, I'll open it up for dialogue then. Any comments on the item B consent agenda? Um, okay, I'll make some comments. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the minutes look fine to me. There are four system level policies and five uh, San Leandro hospital specific policies included in the consent agenda. Um, I'll just reiterate a request. I previously asked that the CPC approval workflow flowcharts, which you guys nicely worked on, be attached at the top of all policy submissions. That will inform the board as to how policies are flowing. So if we can make that standard work, so we're always appreciating how things are, are flowing. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll ask for that request once again, Tanvir. Um, it helps the QPSC to understand the navigation pathway, of course. Um, uh, as a side note, Tanvir, uh, the patient care leadership team, PCLT, yes. is not included on this CPC approval workflow. So maybe if we could put that in, because as I was looking at the workflow earlier, I was like, where is that? So maybe one adaptation, if you don't mind, an update to that. Sure. Um, item number two for the consent agenda, uh, I, I previously requested that the names and titles be used on the actual policies for multiple purposes. One, so that we can know who these individuals are within our organization. And two, again, to provide greater clarity. I'll note that the individual names are included on the executive summaries. They just don't exist on the policies. And as we know, these executive summaries will go away to the, to the wind, but will always be left for the policies. So point of clarification, did you, uh, does uh, one of the, I, I must uh, I, I, I must admit, I think I misunderstood the request and we moved away from names because individuals might change positions and so we actually wanted to use the role and the, uh, because that would be potentially sustained. So um, I guess I just want to clarify that point. Yes, Trustee Lawrence. Actually, that was, that was going to be my comment as okay. well. Is, well, it's interesting to know who those people are. My worry is that every time somebody changes, you have to bring the policy back for, so you're going to be constantly moving those things. Many of these are on a one-year revision. I, I guess for me, I just wanted to know who was the initial draft or, and, and I guess in an organization where we're having turnover in these positions, that becomes a different issue. Yes. Um, but uh, uh, I'll have that dialogue with the trustees. Uh, do you guys have a preference? I'm fine with having the role, like the okay. education services or something that that's okay. And perhaps if in the narrative it tells us that's okay. Perhaps we could have a compromise. Perhaps when we're reviewing a particular policy, we can have a guide who okay. is that director, who is so that you can actually like a more chart a little bit ask for a thousand times. Say that again in the mic yeah, I ought to get all my digs in. Yeah, I'll get all your digs in. I really should. I get everything. So, Tanner, with that, we will amend to make that. So, uh, I, I guess the, the trustees are happy with the executive summary, which includes the title. Okay. 
recovery, which we find. So we will undo that prior request. Um, the San Leandro Hospital policy number one is awkwardly titled Assessment and Reassessment of, of Patients, comma, Organizational Plan for this question as we go to nomenclature. And that's all my smart aleck stuff that I have to say. Trustees, did you see San Leandro Hospital policy one? Just, it, it looked awkward. It, it, it was like, it looked awkwardly titled to me. Uh, but I, I think. Uh, Tanberry has previously discussed uh, uh, putting forth a, uh, a process for standard nomenclature. I suppose you guys are still working on that. Okay. Did, have, you, have you seen the title of that policy? Yes. Um, Does it look, is that just me? No. Okay. Okay. Yeah, this, uh, the San Leandro policies in this instance uh, went through a slightly different process because um, we had to get these policies approved in preparation for the Joint Commission okay. uh, window. And um, so uh, there was an urgency to getting them through. Um, Got it. So I think you're appropriately identifying some. Uh, Understood. Thank you. With that, any other comments on the consent agenda? How many policies are there? Uh, the last time we checked, there were some like 5,900 policies. 6,000. Yeah. About 6,000? Yes. <laughs> uh, you will be, uh, you know, uh, at one of the subsequent uh, meetings, I'm happy to give an update on the work that's being done to try to streamline that. You'll be happy to know that one of our first both uh, sides, one of the first both sides, is to go through all the Joint Commission and Title 22 policies. So we've already got them bucketed within folders and uh, have a work group commissioned. And we're trying to identify leaders who will reconcile all the duplicative policies related to Joint Commission Title 22 requirements, so at least we'll know that those duplications have been reduced. Is our total number unusual for our hospital? Um, that is inclusive of um, all three MECs, so I think we have to remember that we're, you know, three, we're historically, yeah, exactly. All right, thank you, everyone. So with that, uh, all in favor of approving the agenda? Come on, guys. Uh, uh, opposed abstention the motion carries the consent that agenda is approved. With that, we'll move to item C, the QPSC, QPSC chair uh, report discussion. Um, basically, I just have four items for us today. The first item is that um, this is Trustee Lawrence's last QPSC. I want to thank her on record uh, for her passionate, inquisitive behavior in service of clarity improvement and the betterment of this organization. She's been a fierce, uh, a fierce advocate for knowing why, uh, why we do things. And uh, I, I think it's been a great model for me uh, and I think for all of us. And I think, uh, I think her voice is going to be missed not only on this committee, but in the larger board meeting. So I'll open this up to other trustees to pile on. Do it. <laughs> Michelle, your, the, the process questions that you ask truly get to the heart of like why we do what we do and how we should do that. It's been a learning experience for all of us to be able to uh, be part of that. And the oppositional behavior, of course, is, is much needed on, on the board. We need to have the, the, we need to have this kind of rigorous debate and you encourage that. Um, 
throughout your tenure, so you will be very, very missed. Thank you. I just want to echo that. You're one of those executives that really does ask <coughs> why. Why are we doing this? And you ask it more than once. And that's a sign of genius, really. So thank you. Thank you for all of that. We will be missed. Thank you very much. And, and just to echo what has been already said, but to add that, that I always learned something from the questions you've asked. And for me, I'm somewhat surprised that I've learned something new. <laughs> so having you around has just been an incredible asset, I think, to our entire organization here at System. I know I personally will miss you, and I know all of us are going to miss your insights, your ability to focus in on details that maybe we might have missed. So I'm really invaluable. Well, thank you. You are all very kind. Um, I suppose for me, um, my love of people who serve the public has been the inspiration here. And most of my questions about why might have a little bit been about improving the system, but it's more very selfish because I want to. I want to learn and. Um, so I want to thank the medical staff for all their contributions. Um, yeah, people who serve the public and those, especially those who are our neediest, uh, sing to me, and that's why I have served on this board. And I thank you all for the opportunity to have done that. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Item number two of the of the chair's report. You know, um, at last meeting we started to have a dialogue around standard work, uh, something that I know Trustee Hernandez cares passionately about. So, we we, we discussed a couple of things: uh, principles and process, the rules, the guidelines for 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 the game. And um, I, I made one proposal for a principle at last uh, committee meeting, which was more dialogue, less presentations. Um, I, I asserted a, a guideline for 75, 25, 25% presentations, 75% discussion about that. In service of that, we need to do a little bit of background work, and towards that, uh, I've worked with the Chiefs of Staff to develop a standard template, so the Chiefs of Staff now have a standard template to write their executive summary, uh, and uh, you'll, you'll be seeing that. I'm working with Dr. J uh, to, to work on executive summaries coming forth to us. We didn't get all the executive summaries that we would have liked to place for today, but we got a very nice one, uh, which Dr. Bobria drafted, and, I, and it comes in narrative format. Uh, and I think it helps it helps give the nuance behind a PowerPoint slide set. So uh, I, I, I hope that this uh, uh, can be a continuing, uh, evolving process to make this committee better, where we can actually have discussion about the important things and not just be hearing more PowerPoint. So that's item number two. Any comments so far? Dave, are you almost ready to fire up? In just one second. So in further support of this committee, which we talked about in terms of improving our committee, educating this committee, and defining the question of what is important, I'd like to follow up on the two previous articles that we've, we've discussed in this. Remember, we, we, we talked about one of the articles, uh, boardrooms may be just as important as, as operating rooms, and then we talked about the impact of boards from the New England Journal article. Um, quality is a tough thing to put our finger on, isn't it? It is, and towards helping us to understand this, the Institute of Medicine actually did a lot of work around this, you know, almost a decade and a half ago, 
and they published a guideline for the domains of quality. And I think sometimes we forget what all the domains are. So uh, in, in, in something that keeps it simple and I like simple, they kind of developed this acronym called STEEP, S-T-E-E-P. Um, safe, timely, efficient, effective, equitable, and patient-centered. I think it's a really, really nice construct to think about the work that we do here, amongst other things. And for this, I'd like this just to watch a four-minute and 40-second video from Dr. Don Berwick, uh, arguably the, the world's best guru on quality. comfort, fun in driving, durability, and so on. We're used to that. Well, what, what are the dimensions of goodness in healthcare? And the Institute of Medicine, crossing the quality chasm report, gave us six dimensions. It said these should be the areas for healthcare to improve on. It also summarized a lot of the research literature on the current levels of performance for those six areas. And here are the six areas. The first one is safety, back to the report year and a half earlier to Harris Human. Safety means we're not harming people with our care. Uh, we're not adding to the burden of illness. So a safe healthcare system reduces hazards and risks from the care itself, safety. The second dimension they called effectiveness. And that was a term that sort of uh, was meant to, uh, to mean matching science to care. So if, 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 a, if science says that this drug can help in this disease, then we use that drug. And if science says this can't help, we don't use it. So avoiding overuse of things that don't help and assuring use of things that do help, uh, avoiding underuse, that's effectiveness, lining up science with the care. There are big problems in effectiveness. Uh, the Rand Corporation famously uh, published a study a few years ago which showed that of the needed effective care that Americans should get when they track 7,000 people over, over two years, those people who had all sorts of things ranging from just well care to serious chronic illness, those 7,000 people failed to get 45% of the care that would have helped them. So that's effectiveness. The third dimension is patient-centeredness. This is a pretty subversive goal. It means people should be in control of their own care. They should make decisions about what affects them. We say nothing about me without me. It's putting the patient in the center of the care system and giving them power and control of their own lives and their own care. The fourth dimension is timeliness, which means avoiding delays. People are quite familiar with waiting rooms. You know, we wait a long time to get into the, to see the doctor in the emergency room or waiting for an appointment. In all other industries, timeliness is an important dimension of quality. You don't want to wait everywhere, nor do you in healthcare. So timeliness is reduction of needless delay. Some delays instrumental. You want to wait to see what happens, but there's a lot of non-instrumental, very costly delay. The fifth dimension is efficiency, which means avoiding waste. We throw out so much in healthcare. We, we give things that can't help. We duplicate procedures and tests. We lose records. We, we, we lose the ideas of the workforce by not inviting them to, to join in, in invention. So efficiency is a big word. It means stop wasting stuff. We're very, very wasteful in healthcare. The last dimension, which some people think should be the first, is equity. And that means closing the gap. Justice in healthcare. They 
basically. Right now, the biggest predictor of health status in our country remains your race. You know someone's race, you know much more about their future in health than, you, than almost anything else I can tell you about them. A black baby born in inner city Baltimore this year is, has a life expectancy. A male is uh, seven or eight years less than a white baby. But that, that's a quality dimension to equity. So safety, effectiveness, patient-centeredness, timeliness, efficiency, and equity. That, those are the names of dimensions of quality that the Institute of Medicine says we should work on. Uh, the, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement has taken those aims, put them in our mission statement. We exist to improve on those six dimensions. And more and more, thanks to the Institute of Medicine, we're seeing hospitals and clinics and healthcare care organizations in our country, and by the way, other countries, adopt that same now rather famous list of goals for improving healthcare. Brought to you by the IHI. Brought to you by IHI. So uh, I'll, I'll, I won't ask for comments on that yes, be, uh, yet because that leads into the last component of my chair report. So next month, um, the board uh, needs to uh, help with the goal setting for the year for the organization. Next month, uh, the board will be asked to approve the true north metrics for the organization. And uh, it is these measurable, measurables will, which will help guide us for the next year. Um, so in anticipation of this direction setting, it's important that we, as the governing body for the, the, the system, choose wisely. Um, on, included in your packet on page 114 through 116, 114 through 116, uh, it, it are, are the, uh, basically it's just two pages, go to 115. Are, are the principles for the true north metric dashboard provisions. Uh, I actually just found out that last week that we needed to vote next month on what these were, and uh, I thought it would have been uh, not an ideal circumstance for these to be put forth before us next July and then have to vote on, on them that day. So the, the, the purpose of this is as a leader, uh, so, sorry, lead, uh, uh, for, to give us a month to think about these things. Um, I'm proposing some inter-work, inter-inter-committee uh, uh, work between now and the next meeting on what some of these true north measures uh, should be. There's been a very nice uh, uh, recommendation from the executive leadership team. Uh, Tenbeer uh, uh, drafted this document in concert with Dr. J, and uh, that's on page 115. Those are the recommendations. Um, again, it, those recommendations span three components of our dashboard pillar elements, quality, patient experience, and access. What's not included here are the other three, which are sustainability, network, and workforce. Things for us to think about as we, uh, members of this subcommittee of the board, help guide the measurables uh, for our organization. I wanted to put this on the QPSC's brain now so that we wouldn't be in that position next month. I would, I would like to square away probably a good chunk of time at next month's meeting maybe 30 or 45 minutes, I'll work with Tan Peter, since Dr. Jamaldi won't be here, to help frame that dialogue. And in the meeting, I'll, I'll send, her, send you guys some inter-committee uh, 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 dialogue uh, to be thinking about things to bring to the table. I, I know Trustee Hernandez has previously uh, actually inspired this dialogue when she brought this up in our April retreat with vis-a-vis -vis assaults and falls and the like. So I think this is a good opportunity, uh, um, and now I'll open up for some brief comment and then get us back on time. <coughs>
Trustees, any comments on any of the elements we've discussed here in this report? Trustee Lawrence. Of course. Um, you, you know, I, I thought that was a very, very concise and very important presentation. And uh, I really liked how those components fell out. The, the thing that I would be mindful of as you start looking at your dashboard, et cetera, is our organizational structure um, has to also get behind these things. Absolutely. So if patient care and safety is his responsibility, then that this system doesn't work because if one single individual can't carry the load of making certain that there's efficiency, equity, safety, effectiveness, etc. So I think you also, as a board, are going to need to, or the administration, will need to look at the organizational structure. And I know we've set some things up already, but if this becomes part of a system of values and your true north measures, then you've got to have the structure, the administrative and organizational structure to support. That would be my problem. I, I would agree, and I'd say I, my retort would be, how can it not, how can this not be the most important stuff that You know, for me, and, and I'm just going to say, you know, looking at the access pillar, um, there are a couple of measures that we're looking at taking away uh, that I'd like to remain within the, the what we're reporting out, and that's really going to be on the no-show rates and third things available. And I, I know I think it was a challenge at some point to pull some of this data based on the system as long as we resolve that now and we're able to pull that data, I think uh, it, it seems to be a system generated report at this point. Yeah, we see it weekly. I think we yeah. see it weekly, right, Bob? Mm -hmm. so, I, think, I think it's a good measure for us of access that I'd like to continue to see on. So, so in the inter-committee uh, uh, dialogue, which we'll probably have virtually, yeah. I'd like us to have this discussion. Yeah. And then I will inform the, uh, the quality team and uh, of, of these proposals that we've been forth. And again, we're going to square away a good chunk of time. Okay. Uh, but we want, we want to feed them, uh, the, our, our quality team, something to work with and rebut to or report to. And, uh, okay. Does that sound appropriate? As long as we have the opportunity to. Absolutely. I think that the most important thing is the opportunity. So with that, I'll close out item C. We're only plus 10 minutes. Um, item D is uh, Healthcare for the Homeless Commission update. Uh, yes, and you actually may get one. You may actually get your time back okay. uh, here because it appears we may have had a bit of a glitch. Uh, so, uh, first off, I just wanted to remind you know, the committee that last year uh, this board and the board of supervisors established a joint co-opting board to oversee our healthcare for the homeless uh, commission or healthcare for the homeless program, and they established this commission, which was the joint co-opting board. And if you'll recall, the reason for creating that board is that there was a change in the personal regulations regarding the governing board for that program. And essentially, we had been in a position you know, where uh, the board of supervisors and the board of trustees were qualified to serve as a governing board over that program uh, because they were accepted from the requirement to have 50% of the board be members of the group that the uh, program actually serves. Well, HRSA removed that exemption last year, and so that meant that we had to create a board that consisted of uh, members of the community or majority of members of the community served uh, uh, by the Healthcare for the Homeless uh, program. And so that led to the creation of the board. 
they had been up and running, and but there had not been an opportunity for them to report back to this board because, as the materials in the packet show, this board still retains oversight responsibilities with respect to that program in their oversight of the healthcare. Dave, program. can you advance uh, maybe? What's that? Oh. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, this, uh, and I'm, I am just sort of getting a little bit there, of There's one good slide which provides an omen. There we yeah, go. Uh, if you go back one, there we go. So, you know, it's this oversight function. And so, on a going forward basis, you know, we will arrange for periodic reports, you know, from the commission uh, on the work they're doing, you know, what they're seeing. It gives an opportunity, you know, for this board, you know, to ask questions about the program. I did have arranged uh, for David Motorspot, who is the program director, to be here today. He provided these slides, and I'm not exactly sure why he is not here. Uh, but you have the uh, materials and information. You can see about having him come back next uh, month uh, to you know, basically sort of you know, flesh out this report. And then, like I say, we the intent would be to have this sort of update from them on a periodic basis. Um, and I think it's worthwhile, you know, for this committee deciding, you know, what that period, period should be. Um, whether it should be a quarterly report, whether a biannual report is sufficient, or whether an annual report would be, be sufficient for the director. So that's something that can be addressed. Mike, is that outlined in their bylaws, the, the cadence for that report? Not specifically. Okay. So, okay. so that was the context for it that I was going to give. And then David, he's not here, so. Uh, I think the slides kind of can speak. Um, any questions about this? So, so I have a comment about just how this appeared here, uh, because tomorrow uh, some of us will be meeting with Del Becky about the board playbook. And this is a really good example of something that I'd like to be more um, uh, thoughtful about. Um, so Mike, are there other commissions or subboards that would similarly come to us and report out their activities. Not the HP. Well, well, I there, there's not been any um, yeah. tradition of HP. HP you know, can report the board, not even retreat that was established as a something that they're going to be doing more, but in terms of a an operational function like this, this is the
your safety programs and that's the report that they're getting from this election. So it's up to you as to whether or not you want this report to come to this committee or come to the full board. That's with your discretion as you're to facilitate that for our team. Got it. Committee, any commentary on this while we're still hot on the item? I think a report like this really needs to go to the board. Okay. I mean, the only thing is that because the healthcare for the homeless program, uh, I, it is, uh, and it's part of the Hoshtaza Jiksa administrators that we do the thing. So sometimes if you want to delve a little bit, if David was here, you could have asked him, not just the, uh, how the joint this board is done, but a little bit more about the program and its metrics and its, you know, uh, scope and scale and all of that. So again, maybe the written report can go to the board. Mike, would you advance a slide? And then one more. So he actually did have some questions which you would pose and then in this how to bring the health care for the homeless commission and the BOT for collaborative homeless health center oversight. So I think he was going to ask that question. So this would have been a nice dialogue which we can maybe defer. Uh, I think for, di for dialogue purposes, I think this is the right committee. Yes. But yeah. I think the report still has to get up to the board. And I mean, the board has to be able to or the board needs to vote that they're going to totally delegate it to us. I, think I agree. But I agree. I, I, I agree. Absolutely. You also have a board member who has a vested interest in all this, and you may want to tap his, his expertise. So you have to do that. Agreed. And this is probably the most expensive population that we serve. Yes. So if we get this right, our numbers are much better. So if we do better with this population, we, we, we are saving uh, some costs. And I think this is a complex population, too. So this is super important, and, and that's why I bring up what I'm sharing. Got it. Thank you. With that, we'll close out item D, and we'll enter into item E, report and discussion from the three medical staffs. Um, as I say, dealer's choice. Dr. Chu, you want to go first? first. So Dr. Chu's report is on page 126 of your packet. And if we're trying to, again, follow a standard format um, uh, here uh, around which he'll dive. Okay, so uh, let me go to the new, new format. Uh, I, I already talked about our credential privilege in the closed session. I'm going, uh, I'm going on to uh, item B, professional service and contracting. Uh, AHF, um, I continue to work with finalizing the contract for reimbursement of uh, incoming of department chair for San Diego Hospital, who uh, were elected uh, into office uh, January 1st, 2018. And um, those chair are the uh, uh, rents department uh, and uh, uh, chair the meeting and they uh, see uh, the quality and care of each department uh, uh, in charge of the uh, uh, OPPE for the for the Any uh, can can you clarify the nature of what you mean? What's going on? Uh, uh, in, in the past, uh, the department chair were uh, uh, reimbursed by gets uh, a stipend from AHS, and uh, then we had uh, election of the uh, new chairs. Uh, this uh, uh, beginning of this year, and 
then uh, we found out that we need contracts for those chairs to get re uh, reimbursed for the duties. So uh, we are working with uh, Dr. J and also uh, Holly, the contract department, trying to get out the contracts for the chair and so they can uh, get reimbursed for uh, the duty that we can perform. Are you progressing in, in a satisfactory manner for your um, chairs? It's ongoing. Let me give a follow up. So I learned, I learned uh, about this uh, need uh, in the last, not last month, last month MEC meeting. So there was an ongoing contract for Dr. Ingenio, but the chairmanship went to a different surgeon. And the contract for Dr. Ingenio is still active, but we cannot pay an independent uh, physician out of contract. We need to have a contract to pay that uh, money. So this contract has gone out. To, uh, to the surgeon, I forgot his name. Uh, Dr. Uh, Joseph Shea. So I think it went out last week. You know, when I learned about it, I worked on it. Now the other uh, problem is we cannot retro pay. Uh, and there was no uh, communication uh, you know, about this nomination and about this requirement. We need to act on it before uh, Dr. Chu told me about it. Now the other two chairs, uh, we have, they have three chairs, one surgery, one ED, one uh, medicine. Yes. The other two chairs are going to be employed or already employed by only the health partners, and this is incorporated into the payment as the So Dr. J, you say you can't pay them for work. They didn't do it. You can't retroactively pay them for work. Uh, it's, uh, it's a stark requirement, <coughs> and uh, you know I'm trying to, to do that, but it, it is very high risk stark violation. We pay out of contract, so that's the problem. There was a contract that is ending actually as of June, I think, for Dr. Ingenio, but the medical staff has changed the nomination and the contracting department. Dr. Chu, do you have a comment on that? Let me talk with the chair and, uh, and see, uh, we'll see uh, if this. Uh, it is a shame that uh, it probably uh, involves on me that I'm not getting this to uh, Dr. J's attention earlier. But uh, he, you know, yeah, everything uh, is kind of uh, new to me that uh, you know, I thought the, con the control just roll over automatically when you inducted the new chair. And then, uh, then when we uh, started approaching uh, the uh, AHS regarding uh, the reimbursement and was told that we need a contract. So by that, that time we were, we were behind already. So we are, uh, let me uh, talk to the department chair and uh, see uh, if we can uh, find ways to uh, reimburse or somehow, somehow make up for the time loss. Did uh, somebody get money that they shouldn't? That's what they want to No, no, he didn't get us. So they bill every every month for that uh, through that time James Jackson. But uh, the change happened in the nomination uh, and the contract was under I mean it's a small amount, it's not the value of the money, but uh, it is supposed to pay out the contract and it cannot be the
Sorry, please continue, Dr. Jones. Okay, so uh, on to our quality and outcome. Uh, well, um, uh, quality, uh, we're having uh, implementing a monthly uh, quality uh, leadership uh, huddle is sent into a hospital with participation from um, Vice uh, President of uh, Quality, Dr. Sun, uh, Chief of Staff, Nursing, and Chief Medical Officer, uh, slash Associate Chief Medical Officer. And uh, I'm uh, looking forward to uh, the meeting uh, because um, uh, with, um, I think, um, not with the new uh, onboarding of the, um, Dr. Kusan and the new uh, Associate Medical uh, Chief Officer, uh, I think we uh, are going to have some uh, leadership, uh, going to have some uh, improved leadership and uh, we also uh, so leading to that we awaiting uh, the arrival of ACMO who will support uh, leadership uh, to the community hospital and uh, Dr. Jamaladi now posted a position form addressing issue concerning uh, San Diego hospital operation and leadership as well as other providers are concerned and uh, the form of the uh, continue to be held quarterly and uh, uh, San Angelo Hospital continue to mark uh, tracer in anticipation of upcoming Joint Commission uh, survey. Yeah. Discussion? Okay. Trustees, any comments on item C, quality and outcomes from Dr. Okay. Continue on. Uh, uh, San Angelo uh, Medical Exec Committee uh, actually will participate in the funding for the Provider Wellness Initiative uh, spearheaded by Dr. Hearn. And uh, we are just uh, finalizing uh, the amount that we're going to contribute. And uh, we are going to uh, also uh, look, um, this is like the uh, trial period. And we, uh, I know this uh, majority of this uh, physician wellness will be. Um, utilized by the residents, but uh, we're going to see how uh, much of our uh, medical staff will need, will, uh, will uh, use the service. And that's going to, um, uh, that's, that, that will be, uh, uh, and, and uh, Dr. Hearn has uh, said that uh, he will keep track of the statistic and will uh, kind of uh, let us know, you know how our, our medical staff is utilizing the service. And uh, we also mourn the loss of uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Michael Plummer, uh, a uh, long-time uh, nurse at San Diego Hospital. I worked with him uh, personally uh, for the past uh, 15 years, and he has worked uh, at San Diego for the past 30 years. And uh, he passed uh, unexpectedly uh, at work. Uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, we are uh, contributing uh, funds to, uh, toward his uh, memorial and uh, memorial funds. And uh, and then only other issue would be uh, I'm uh, gonna uh, try to um, give you a little uh, report of the departments, uh, and uh, I guess this falls under quality and outcome. And uh, we, since um, San Angelo Hospital has three departments, I'll just get a little um, report that um, 
our surgical volume has uh, remained uh, consistent um, from April, uh, uh, any in April, uh, consistent with uh, the, the year previous to that, and total endoscopy volume also has uh, remained fairly consistent, slightly lower uh, than the previous year. And uh, that's uh, my report. Uh, any other questions? Standard work. Uh, uh, Dr. Chu, do you have any other further comments, suggestions, questions, uh, which will help us in pursuit of the highest quality and safest care at San Leandro Hospital? Um, I am uh, pleased uh, to uh, see that we are uh, having more uh, communication uh, between uh, the uh, chief medical officer and uh, uh, vice president of quality, and also now we are going to have uh, the ACMO uh, coming. Thank you. Um, Dr. Madelon's report is on uh, uh, page 127 of your packet. Uh, good afternoon. Um, just a follow-up on um, last month's uh, meeting regarding uh, professional services. So our preliminary and critical services at Alameda uh, were maintained. Uh, agreement was reached on May 31st. So, um, and uh, during our MEC meeting, there were no non-physician contracts presented for review. For quality and outcomes, uh, there were no discussions during our MEC meeting. Again, there was no um, data report that uh, we had to review. So we are um, currently working um, to um, improve this process. So um, there's high level uh, flow of um, areas that are coming from our QRC uh, recommendations that will go to MEC for uh, any improvements that uh, that we need to do at our hospital. Um, we've also had discussions in our MISI regarding um, opportunities for um, echocardiogram uh, weekend coverage. Um, the MEC uh, approved the motion to have uh, improved to the echocardiogram coverage for the hospital on uh, weekends. Um, previously, we we had some type some. Uh, coverage on weekends to be able to have uh, to the echoes uh, performed on patients that need them and uh, it, we um, would like to we expressed our uh, desire to have this uh, continued so we could uh, manage critically ill patients uh, in a more uh, timely manner um, and also it's uh, as a primary stroke program, um, it is uh, a standard that impacts our, our length of stay as well. Um, there's been ongoing discussions with um, Dr. Jamaluddin and the MEC for um, improvement of our inpatient urology service, um, as well as opportunities to uh, improve our uh, gastroenterology services as well. Questions? Questions for Dr. Maglong? Dr. Maglong, any other comments, concerns, or suggestions to help us pursue the safest and highest quality care at Alameda Hospital? Um, I was looking at uh, Dr. Hearn's report with um, having uh, scheduled leadership puddles 
uh, at uh, San Leandro, so that is something that maybe we can also do for Alameda. Dr. Hughes report? Yeah, on what he mentioned. Um, so to have, you know, uh, CMO, ACMO, uh, chief in the nursing leadership um, meet regularly to Dr. At the I was present at the Quality Safety Council this month at Alameda Hospital. So I had mentioned that we would be instituting quality leadership rounds where all my directors you, um, and the nursing leader would meet. And I just want to elaborate one other point. Every month the um, quality program manager does uh, send out an executive summary from the Quality Safety Council. So you mentioned you didn't get a report. We have not been getting the report. Okay, so we need to make sure, we, I'm looking at it right now because we have everything folded. So it seems like I need to make sure that that is getting to you um, because I'm looking at the May report and I apologize that, that didn't, you didn't receive it, but it's part of our regulatory reporting requirement. So I will ensure you get that. Apologies about that. Thank you. Dr. Oh, thank you. Dr. Malcolm, anything else? Uh, thank you. Okay, thank you for your report. Dr. Hearn. Dr. Hearn. Dr. Hearn's report is on page 125 of the packet. To continue my prior report, jump back in. Um, we mentioned the professional services and contracting issues with regards to dermatology, and uh, I assume we will hear more about that soon. Um, regarding the contract for uh, the wellness director counselor, um, we have uh, just informed that we have clearance uh, from legal to get that contract in place, but um, the challenge is that that person, uh, despite uh, we have a, a potential person in mind that that position is being posted, um, but has to go through the entire HR background check, uh, which can be a number of weeks, even though that, um, so that's a yeah, I hope we can make it faster. I hope we can make it faster than what's Dr. Hearn, can you remind the committee on uh, on this position and the vision for this position? Exactly. So the, 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 the challenging, interesting, uh, the interesting things about this position, I've been talking about that wellness and uh, counseling and, and a wellness director for, for some time. Um, Part of the challenges, of course, that we um, that this person would provide coaching uh, and uh, initial counseling, perhaps for um, residents and medical staff members uh, in times of crisis, need uh, other stressors, that sort of thing. The other interesting challenge is that we have to be mindful of uh, start laws, uh, such that uh, contracting physicians uh, aren't um, able to receive services. Uh, or sorry, yeah, contracting physicians are not allowed to receive the same services that employee, employees are. Uh, and so that makes the funding challenge very interesting. Uh, in larger institutions, that type of wellness physician or wellness center is funded through the university uh, faculty groups uh, or the, uh, the university themselves. Um, what we've done is we've created a, a funding for a half-time FTE position uh, Dr. Jamaladi is gracious enough to, to, to help uh, contribute uh, $20,000. Uh, the medical staff themselves are uh, from the AHS core contributing $20,000. Uh, AHP is contributing $20,000. Uh, we're waiting the numbers from San Leandro and Alameda hospitals uh, to make up our total amount of PD, which is a half-time FTE for a PhD psychologist. Um, so we are we are thrilled that we are finally reaching, the, we are nearing the, 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 the completion of this. Um, the residents, like I say, started on, uh, on Monday. Um, and this is part of their, uh, you know, what we're telling them about their the wellness capabilities and resources here at Hunt. It, what, what is the, um, 
my worry on these kinds of things is that I think it's very difficult for someone to say, I need help and, and go seek it. Um, and particularly people who are taking care of others may not take care of themselves. So how are you ensuring that this, in fact, is going to be used? That you're not just getting somebody who, in fact, is going to be sitting there waiting for somebody to come to them. So are you sending the, all the interns? Is that going to be part of their responsibility? How, how are you going to ensure that people are actually using this? Absolutely. So um, in terms of the early, the ramp-in stage, there will be um, uh, announcements and like actual visits. Also, this will, uh, this will be available to all campuses. So all nine AHS campuses, including Alameda and San Leandro, even if they decide to fund us with zero dollars, um, including all of the wellness centers. And through via, via Skype. And so, so the person will go and, and do visits to all the centers and say what, what services are available. In addition, all of the residents, uh, the medicine residents and the emergency residents are already involved in wellness pods that have been meeting for the last few years. So that is part of their, their ongoing thing. You can't require them to go to this yeah, person, but you clearly like can make it incredibly easy, have them co-located near resident spaces, um, and offer sort of coaching sessions on a lot of different topics. Uh, the, other, the other great thing about this position is that it's flexible enough so that um, it can be slightly after hours, evening, maybe even weekends, uh, this person will uh, be the go-to um, for these sessions. Of course. How to systemize <coughs> this is, is going to be, of course, challenging. But, uh, I mean, you heard the story about uh, Mr. Palmer from San Miami. He came to work, he arrested at work, and the physician had to take care and remember. Then he was both here and died. And uh, I mean, people really needed support at the time. This is where we're, uh, where really it is, it is very clear that they were together and things powerful. And sometimes, OBGYN, they have uh, a disaster happening. So we are trying to systemize in terms of the care of the caregiver program and to, uh, to include it in it and just make it available and uh, encourage people to come and talk about, about these things. Uh, you know, we, uh, we had them in the healthcare medicine, which was uh, very effective in taking care of that physician that person will always be for other physicians and then will maintain the, the care of patients where the colleagues of the nurses. So having uh, an expert in psychology among these two will be also very helpful. His so, wife works in Sydney. She does, yeah. She is, uh, she is a housekeeping and he was planning to retire in July. The other thing is that luckily the chairs already know that I've been talking about this for a long time, so I actually have a list of, of, of more than one referral already for uh, to, to see this person. Um, you know, chairs they have uh, uh, an attending with either a behavioral issue or just they know that they're under a lot of stressors and they're like, Gene, is this person on board yet? I have somebody to refer them to and I've talked to them and they're, they're ready to, to talk to somebody We just don't have the person to place yet. Uh, which is sort of frustrating, but it's but it, like there are people like that. So I think uh, you know, part of it is just documenting how much it gets used. Could could you? And I don't want to take more time, but could you also have this be one of the um, 
components, I don't want to say components, one of the opportunities in a in the quality review process of someone who may in fact need that kind of support. Um, it is so can a quality review say you need to take care of this? Um, yes, we clearly have um, when there's an investigation from a, from a medical staff standpoint, we have referred people to either the well-being committee, which typically is more um, alcohol and drug dependence, um, but having this wellness person is, is invaluable as part of their remediation plan. Thank you. Thank you. Across this comes to Yeah, that's great. And it, what's, what's also great is that it has been a many hands make light work. Uh, and uh, you know, having a lot of people contribute has gone a great way to alleviate concerns, um, as well as sort of making it actually happen. So I'm very, awesome. very pleased about that. Um, to move on in terms of uh, uh, next issues in terms of um, uh, quality and outcomes in uh, MEC, we talked uh, fairly extensively about the, the search process. Um, there are some questions uh, that have come up about um, uh, the search process there uh, and how it is scored. There are certain timing questions about how often it can be scored and that sort of thing. Um, and uh, so that has been resolved. Um, interestingly enough, uh, other departments, uh, I, I'm very lucky in that the ED surge is, that's the actual score. Um, but there are clearly other members of MEC who are interested in surge being discussed and studied from other perspectives. For instance, Packy, we heard uh, a story, I believe, last month of a uh, post-surgical philosophy takedown who was in the PACU for five days. Um, and it was, uh, so there are other members of MEC, and rightly so, who have asked to restart. Uh, when we started the surge process, task force, I guess it was called, um, a year and a half ago, uh, you know, it was really focused on the emergency department, but the idea of, of actually, we've asked for the task force to be reopened um, to discuss integrating additional um, additional service lines in the hospital. So ED, uh, so sorry, PACU overcrowding, ICU overcrowding. In addition, the scoring system, uh, I think, has uh, some challenges in that the scoring system for the for the emergency department is based on total number of beds available. And that scoring system, that number doesn't change throughout the day when in fact the initial numbers of beds used for that scoring system changes and that our fast track closes at 11 p.m. and we drop 10 beds. Uh, and so our total number of beds in the calculation changes dramatically at 11 p.m. and that has not been integrated into the scoring system. So it's an interesting thing we've just realized. Well, actually, that scoring system uh, needs to be adjusted as well. So we'd like to, that, to have that uh, the surge calculations be, uh, that task force be uh, uh, reopened and, and restarted in addition, uh, people have asked for having, so often surge is related to, it's not a front door issue, it's a back door issue. So getting patients discharged in place uh, and, uh, and where those the patients coming from the PACI or coming from the ED are then going to be placed. And so one request is, and as part of this possibility, is the creation of a bed czar uh, that is different from then the house supervisor because the house supervisor has a lot of other duties, but somebody who is really focused in on what, you know, this happens when we go to Code Red, like find the beds that are about to become available 
and figure out what the problem is in each of those in each of those instances. So, so the idea of, of, uh, of funding that position. In addition, uh, there was a, uh, a possibility in our closed session of discussing um, hiring a consultant to actually dig deep uh, over the course of a month or so and find out uh, what aspects of these surges are, uh, what's the root cause of each of these uh, surges. Is it a staffing issue? Is it an ancillary service issue? Is it a placement issue? Is it a pharmacy issue? And so I think that a funding of that consultant, hopefully we have a lot of consultants for a lot of different things I've understood you know, over the course of the last 23 years uh, that I've been here. However, this seems like it would be helpful and wouldn't be very long. Um, so a lean process wouldn't get to this? You know, it probably would. Um, it, it, it was, but we, part of the challenge of the lean process is that the people who are all internal and, and having fresh eyes might actually be uh, useful. So, so the MEC was asking actually for a set of fresh eyes to come in and, and, and make a deep dive. It really sounds like a very reasonable expenditure. Well, I think, you know, especially for, for something that has as much impact as this does. We were in code red for most, most of the day today. Yeah. As an example. Finding out what the root cause is of that. There are many, many theories. Something to consider for a dashboard. Yes, absolutely. Just change the name. That's are, come on. That's actually a title that has been used in a lot of I know, but with Putin in our business, I think this really. Oh, that's way before Putin's. It's okay. It's okay. Who has direct responsibility for this issue? Um, currently, the direct responsibility falls under um, Mr. Chapman, I believe. CEO for CAO for Highland. Um, with the new organizational structure, I'm not sure. Dr. Jack, do would have direct accountability? So that uh, would be the CNE, CAO, and the VP. And uh, with, with uh, myself, so uh, just uh, we, we are going to have more visibility about uh, how how flows is happening, uh, lack of quality uh, tracking system. We decided not to invest on the tracking system because Epic could have one. It's a very expensive process, not in terms of its cost, in terms of its training and implementing it. And uh, this time resource uh, for its uh, implementation, entering data, you know, the last data entry, all these things. So we decided to uh, wait and And uh, the old system would have so we would be able to really track by nurse, by physician, by borders, uh, by housekeeping, uh, in the bed. So we have all this, this uh, like clarity. Just as part of theme, this is very important. Uh, when we talk about theme, any lean process needs to have a fresh eye in its Kaiser. We need to have a fresh eye in Kaiser event as such. Otherwise, you don't want to compete. We need to get somebody from outside. So, yes, sir. The other thing, too, in regard to surge, is that uh, in MEC next month is looking forward to. Uh, the debriefs. We've um, now asked Codified uh, a request for just a debrief after every 
surge red so that we know if it was an overwhelming influx of patients from the OR or trauma patients from the ED or was it a staffing issue or a sick call issue. Or, so so to, to get a, a breakdown each time, again, to, get, to gather more insight into this interesting process. Great. Um, and then finally, in my uh, uh, other issues, the MECs uh, of all three hospitals are having a retreat at Alameda Hospital in October. We're finalizing the educational program, but it'll be not only about um, uh, physician behavior, peer review, counseling, some wellness issues, um, but it's basically an effort to um, inspire and educate our MECs going forward uh, because the, the skill set that you gain uh, for uh, as a physician leader is not something that comes naturally in medical school. There's no, there are no classes on that. And so having a sort of leadership, a sort of mini leadership uh, program for the MECs, uh, we feel is going to be very important. Awesome. Um, and ongoing with that, uh, uh, we are also uh, engaging um, Dr. Jamaline, and uh, we will have uh, more physicians involved in the Leadership Academy, which is based here, as well as uh, um, there's a national conference in San Francisco, uh, all, all, again, on sort of uh, physician leadership issues. So we're looking forward to uh, our continued strength as uh, physician leaders of educating ourselves. I miss these. Come on, you're welcome to come back. <laughs> uh, Dr. Jay and or Dr. Hearn, can you comment on our own internal leadership academy and vis-a-vis physicians going through them? I can comment because I, I went through it uh, myself and uh, you know at the beginning when Tony came up with this program uh, I wasn't sure because uh, I thought as physicians we needed to have maybe more tailored less time commitment but that after going through it myself I thought it's extremely valuable. Uh, the value is on learning tools around management, emotional intelligence and you know communication uh, but also there is another value is to sit down with, uh, usually the, the cohort is about 15 people, to sit down with non-physician group and, co and connect with them and, and problem solve during this uh, academy with people from various disciplines of the system who we didn't know who they are. So uh, we had uh, Donna Carey, who's uh, currently leading the pediatric department, uh, had gone through it, uh, Dr. Ing is going through it. So we have a number of physicians but in the latest discussion with Gene, when we are looking at the number of physicians we are going to go through this, uh, we are going to uh, have like a lengthy process. So we are looking to see how we can engage more physicians into this. The, 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 the commitment really is to have one day for six weeks, and one has to be totally disconnected and committed to come. Like, there is no other thing that this distract us from this. Are, are the trustees familiar with this? That's not a good thing. I think it's a great thing for the organization. Yeah, everyone that I've, that I've spoken to about it has, you know, Ray has been, been very helpful for them. Um, I think it's, it's a scheduling challenge because you get uh, you know, a single weeks. day off, you know, the, the same day of the week for six whole weeks. I think it's, it just takes a lot of the episode to getting, you know, we have 40 physician leaders, uh, chairs, division chiefs, um, and it's hard to get that number in. Are there anyone from the other campuses right now? Uh, uh, in terms of physicians, not that I know of, but of course in terms of uh, you know employees and management and yes, yes, yes. Actually, I, I met uh, quite a few people from other campuses. Dr. Hearn, do you have any further comments? 
suggestions to help us pursue the highest quality care at, at Island Hospital? Um, no, I think that, um, yeah. um, I think one of the challenges that uh, <coughs> that I think we are all feeling, and of course my my job is to represent the, the medical staff at 700 or so. Um, Attention all staff. The Highland Emergency Department surge level has returned to baseline. Yeah. Attention all staff. The Highland Department, um, the Highland Emergency Department surge level has returned to baseline. So I think that I mean I think just the overall sense uh, from talking to members of medical staff is you know um, there's the recent uh, reorganization uh, structure that was uh, that was announced. There's also a number of um, uh, senior level nursing. Uh, positions, uh, people who are uh, resigning. So there's some senior nurse managers, nurse managers over various units that are resigning all about the same time. And I think it's fair to say that the medical staff just feels a certain amount of instability happening um, uh, at the nursing level and other levels. And I think that that's, that's just a, a point of, in terms of like continuing quality, if we lose people who have been here for many years through resignations, and obviously some of them are personal and, 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 and that is very reasonable um, but there's there's an underlying sense of instability and I, that I think can, is translated into a sense of we want to maintain the utmost in, in, in quality and professional service um, so I just have to say that that is a feeling that is out there. Right. Trustees? So one of the questions that that raises for me is what is our mechanism for documenting, in essence, institutional knowledge. You know, you've got almost 6,000 or however many procedures and policies and so on. And just imagine that as you have a senior nurse leave of 20 years, no matter what you wrote down in that policy, her knowledge or his knowledge about those, where does that go? Right, and how to interact and get the problem solved between departments and between floors. It's very concerning. I'm just going to make one comment on that thought, which is that um, we are currently, today's the last day of EPIC direction setting meeting. And one of the ideas is that this knowledge is hardwired into the system that helps us deliver care. So I think this is happening at a right, I mean, upside to this is it's an opportunity for us to really reflect on the practices that will guide the future and hardwiring them. So that's right. Can I ask, uh, as related to this also, uh, if you make some comment about the SIM Center role oh, yes. in, uh, in training and nurse, team-based team training, yeah. Yes, um, we're also, um, uh, so the SIM Center, I don't know if, uh, I, I, the trustees I'm, visited the simulation center, which is on so hopefully in one of the subsequent months we can sort of uh, share some updates there, but um, I think one of the exciting opportunities with the SIM Center is also this one, that um, that knowledge, that, or the true practice is not cannot be simply captured in a policy or procedure, and that a lot of the things that we're beginning to see through finding patterns and the root cause, RCAs, are those that are beyond one person but interprofessional. And how do we bring those very um, vulnerable opportunities into the SIM Center, bringing the right people together to work through these problems? 
Um, and I think, I know her, Jean and I are going to have a conversation about tomorrow morning, sorry. Um, but I think this is also another opportunity to leverage um, that it, it's an opportunity for, for us to leverage. Excellent. With that, we will close out item E and we will move into, uh, we will move into item F. Uh, we have uh, our ambulatory uh, SBU report from Dr. Paul Cabrera, and um, she has uh, been the first out of the gates to give us a, to give us a very nice technical summary. Uh, we're hoping the board has uh, an opportunity to read it. It was very well written. I think it provides clarity, and she'll have some photo slides. Uh, Paul, do you think you can do it in about 35 to four yeah, minutes? absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. So welcome. Thank you. Um, I have no idea if I did this right, so I welcome any feedback, even in real time, from the board about what we should focus on. I was told to really limit the slides, so I think there's only three. Um, so I think this is really, we can focus on whatever areas um, would be most valuable to the board. I will walk through just the high level. I recognize this slide is hard to read the specific numbers. Um, so this is our True North metric dashboard for our, our SPU. Most of it is captured in the narrative that I included in the board summary. Um, I think one of the things that we in ambulatory are the most proud of is obviously for the access metrics when we look at our trends for previous years and even where we started out. Um, they're not all in the green, but most of them are in the green. Uh, I welcome the feedback from the board as to what we want to see next year. And I will say, just while I have the podium, you know, I am someone who loves tracking no-show rates. I look at it every single day. I look at it over months. And as I'm being educated by my team, by the providers, by the patients. Um, no one else really cares about no-show rate. So we are doing a series of engagements with our staff and our providers and our patients to really understand experience from different perspectives. And it's interesting because what really matters to most of them almost universally um, is their experience and flow through the clinic. So people want to know, hey, when I need an appointment, can I get one? Can I call and someone picks up the phone? Are my needs being met? Um, you know, I think both Trustee Lawrence and Dr. Bouquet raised great points about what is quality. And if a patient is having a medical issue and, you know, picks up the phone and can't get through to have that need met, that, that operational barrier absolutely is directly related to their quality. Um, and so cycle time, which is one of the proposed metrics from the executive team, is actually something that's come up universally, that our patients complain about the wait times long it takes to get into the clinic, get out of the clinic, you have to take a full day off for a clinic visit sometimes. Our providers really complain about this too. They show up to clinic ready to go and then are waiting for 30 minutes for that first patient to get into the room. And our staff similarly find it frustrating. So um, I am being educated and you know that seems to definitely be something that is really tied to workforce experience, patient experience, um, as well as access for our patients from the patient perspective. Um, access, obviously, in terms of the TNAA, I think our adult medicine template redesign has really helped drive that process. So we've now seen sustained improvements for several months in terms of the third next available appointment in adult medicine. Um, as you read in the summary, we are now moving into this process with our specialty services. Um, our medicine department has been the guinea pig, and really under the leadership of Dr. Baden and all the specialty division chiefs, we're going to be learning a lot over the next few months about you know, how that process translates or not into specialty and how we need to tweak it over the next few months before we embark on a similar journey with our surgical subspecialties. Um, in terms of sustainability, we are just shy of meeting our visit volume in both primary and specialty care for the year. 
one note on this is definitely, you know, we didn't budget any reduced volumes for our next gen go live for our specialty services that happened in the beginning of this last fiscal year. Um, but all of, almost all of the specialties universally have ramped back up to their pre-next gen visit volumes for the last several months. Um, in terms of quality, you know, we continue to perform in the green for three of our five metrics. Diabetes and colorectal cancer screening, we are doing a deep dive because we had been at goal earlier in the year and performance has dipped across several of our sites recently. So we're trying to figure out, is this a data capture issue? Um, is this a performance issue? What do we need to do to correct both of these metrics? As they are also both prime metrics as well as uh, colorectal cancer screening as part of our HPAC contract. But there haven't been any sort of major shifts our practice or how we are treating these conditions, so we're still trying to understand those trends better. And then patient experience, um, we did have a blip the previous month, but continues to rise and is sort of better than it has been in previous years. So the trend lines are looking great, and I think definitely as we're tracking some of that access metrics and patient feedback on access, that has also been improving as patients can get in to see their providers um, more readily. Any questions on? I have a question, Paula, that's kind of a theoretical question. Um, if you, if we asked you to destroy this dashboard and build a dashboard totally fresh and 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 uh, undoing the premise of the limitations of the data we have, any dashboard you could get with any data you could get, um, would this be the dashboard that you build? No. Unequivocally, no, probably. Can you help walk us through some of those? Because those are the dialogues I think the, the quality committee wants to have. What would be those things that you would put on your green dashboard with 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 the with the premise that you could get any data that you could? I think I would really turn it to the people doing the work, right? So I would, you know, go to our patients and say, what matters to you about your health and your experience in healthcare? Um, you know, the point of the dashboard any dashboard is to highlight areas where there's an improvement. If we're picking a dashboard where everything's green, that dashboard doesn't serve a lot of purposes. But I think everyone in our system um, knows what the problems are. I think our patients can very much articulate parts of their experience or medical care that they wish were improved. Um, I think our frontline staff, the MAs and eligibility clerks and nurses can do the same. And definitely the providers can. You know, we get tons of great feedback from all of the providers in our system about what is and is not working. Um, so I would want a dashboard that highlights those issues that they identify as important that are barriers to both receiving and providing high-value care, um, and then connecting them to nationally-based metrics, right? You know, I don't think any of us want to invent metrics or invent benchmarks because there is an entire methodology and science to tracking quality and data integrity. Um, but for many of those things that people are going to complain about, there is actually a benchmark metric either through AHRQ or other national industry standards. Uh, but I would look to them to drive that process because if people care about the problems we're trying to solve, we'll be much more successful in solving them. Have we done that? So we have through various mechanisms, you know, so I think that's where the propositions from Access really did come from patient feedback and leader feedback and frontline provider feedback. So we've been doing round tables um, throughout primary care. We haven't quite gotten to specialty yet with all of our providers as part of our workforce experience efforts to really understand what are the day-to-day -day issues that affect you in clinic that inhibit your ability to provide top-notch care to our patients. Um, and a lot of that feedback is reflected in sort of the metrics we're thinking about, at least internally as an SBU. And then in terms of quality, all of our um, 
middle management essentially, so our nursing supervisors, our medical directors, our managers, um, people who supervise our pharmacists, our nutritionists, really weighed in on the quality metrics, you know, understanding their programs, what are the barriers that we're facing in various domains. Um, it's not reflected here, but for next year, we just went through sort of a polling activity to figure out you know, which three to five metrics do we want to focus on for quality that are most important to the people who are driving that change. At, you know, as we move into next month, as we said at the top of this meeting, as we move into next month, identifying those true north metrics, I think this is a really important dialogue. So not to throw more work on you, but throwing more work on you, Paul. Uh, my, my request would be for you to uh, uh, give us your wish list of what you would like measured. And, and then it's up to the board to help decide whether to, we can help resource you to identify those things which are important. Uh, because I think your particular position in the organization is more well informed than 99.9% .9 of, of the people who work in the system. And um, I just wanted to make one comment because I'm not sure that I shared the executive summary for the True North metric proposal with Paula prior to it being shared. Mm -hmm. But what is in that proposal is a summary of our engagement with stakeholders. So you'll see the ambulatory access metrics were directly from Paula and her team. Under quality, um, the reflection of Prime and QIP are, are were in collaboration with Paula and patient experience. The CG caps again is in collaboration with Pallav and similarly those metrics that have been proposed have been developed in collaboration with the various uh, uh, chief uh, administrative officers and with our executive leadership team um, and under that at the top of the proposal you'll sort of see how we sort of dialogued about some of these tensions about ensuring that they are re relevant to our <coughs> patients and our physicians but um, are also still the same things get, that get nationally broadcasted that are inevitably the way that the public are going to judge us. Um, and around which there is a science of how we measure so that we don't become lost in endless conversations about the numbers, but rather that work has been done so we can stay focused on the clinical quality improvement so we don't reinvent the dialogue about measurement science, which we can't tackle in this group. Um, I think the other thing to be thoughtful about is how do we ensure we have representation of the scope of services? You know, I engage this daily in my work. Why is there not a measure specific to, I don't know, um, vascular surgery, right? Um, it's challenging to have a measure that hits every single provider personally, but that has to be balanced with what are the true population, what are, what, where is the preponderance of the work we need to do? Um, so those are just some of the tensions we really did try to explore as we put that proposal together. Excellent. And I think the board would like to be informed of that. Yes. We picked this metric because of yes. I think that would be very helpful to this board. So they can say, oh, right, that now we know why this is on, right? This was selected. Sorry. Trustee yeah, Energy. All of you, you've you know, shared with us the whole uh, primary care redesign, and that's been such a journey for us to learn about that, too, and as you went into the specialty care, it's not just taking that and applying there are nuances and such Absolutely. differences in how that will work out, the redesign of that. So we'd love to have you come back and you know educate us on, on that because that there's a lot that's hanging in balance with the specialty care. And we're care. learning new things every day, so. Yeah. You know, this is a subject that's near and dear to my heart. 
uh, certainly, and, and I recognize the amount of effort it takes to make this improvement and the amount of time that we've seen. So congratulations, I think you've done a tremendous job. The two, uh, the two groups that I might direct you to, and you're probably looking at them already, are probably some of the metrics through MGMA and AMGMA. And, and I think, you know, when you're looking for an organization that can provide you with a lot of information and a wealth of information, those two I've always found to be really useful. So. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that feedback. And I still remember your challenge to RSBU months ago saying, why aren't we doing open access and why are all these metrics so broken? So, you know, you've also helped push us Get better. I, I, I appreciate all the work that's gone into this <coughs> what you've been able to achieve. Trustee Lawrence. Um, I, I suppose that the thing for me is I have found through sitting here that we have tried to get as much information on a single dashboard. Yeah. And um, I, I'm going to use the model that for me for public education. You know, we have the state testing and you can't ignore it, it's important, you've got to make certain. But what I found improved our state, overall state testing, was when we developed our own internal measurements and uh, we, we rated ourselves against ourselves in terms of improvement. And what ended up happening is that it improved the state issue uh, incidentally. And so I really think that a board ought to be looking at a series of dashboards as opposed to these components and trying to get one single thing like that fits in. And I, and I know that because Delvecchio has said, you know, there's a state requirement, you've got to have certain things, you've got to measure, etc. You can't get away from that. And, and I understand that. But doing some internal, the things that you want to measure and things that, that a department head may want to measure or an MEC may want to measure seems to me to be as critical as and understanding what those things are as is a dashboard, um, a single dashboard. So I, I want to add to that uh, and just ask for what other ways we can get the voice of the patients because um, I, I think so much happens between that phone call when the person says, I'd like to come in and see you, and what actually comes out of the person's voice next. So I'll, I want to give an example. I, I tried to make an appointment with a specialist, and I was stunned at the barrier from the receptionist who said, we don't make an appointment unless we have your um, insurance card. And I said, OK, do you have a fax? Or no, we don't take faxes. How do I get it to you? And, I mean, I went through this amazing dialogue, and I'm not one to be shy. So I'm trying to imagine what happens to our patients when they call. And you know, the, the, the first appointment isn't available for the next 60 days, or what have you. So, so where do we get that kind of texture? And how do we, as a board, listen to those voices so that we make sure we provide you the right resources to address them? This is phenomenal, and I know you've done incredible work just in a very short amount of time. And I'm just thinking in the future, as we become more and more responsive to, I think, a population that's going to go through a lot, depending on what happens with so many policies that are in limbo right now, 
I know we need to just be very responsive. Um, I know we all look, you know, for some indication from how people, you know, are commenting on their first experience with this, and that, that would be helpful. Absolutely. I think just to both those comments, I do want to assure the board that for every single one of these metrics plus dozens and dozens more, we have internal dashboards and data that we use um, that can drill down you know, to the provider level, to the staff level, ask sort of more detailed questions about this data. So we certainly use that oh, for the performance improvement work because, you know, exactly similar to your educational experience, that is how we make right. change. Um, and I would welcome feedback from the board of, you know, do you want to see more of that granular type of detail? Or as we do more spotlight presentations, we can definitely bring that forward. And then I'm really looking forward to Holly Garcia, who's our Director of Operations, as I've alluded to, her focus, and we'll be renaming her title um, soon, is going to be to be the Director of Innovation and Experience, you know, not just patient experience, but also our staff and provider um, experience. And so she's helping us come up with, you know, getting a ton of feedback from inside of ambulatory, from our patients, to help figure out what is our strategic plan going to be around really um, bringing the patient in, you know, initially just to get feedback, but then an ideal state to co-design all of our workflows um, and processes. So I look forward over the course of the next year to bringing that work to the board as well. And for me, it, it, and because I see no purpose of us bringing things forward like steep. 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 If in fact it doesn't, I mean, if it doesn't get embedded. And so as you start looking at changing those, as you just said about the individual, you may want to look at those components to see who in fact in your organization is to, is responsible for each of those things because I don't think that can fall to one person. Okay. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Just uh, there is a report that is published weekly by Palav's team about a lot of what we call key performance indicators that are cascaded from these methods. So I mean, it comes to my email and you know, I would want to see what's happening here, what are we doing? So, there is this cascading process, and despite the challenge with the, with the data and analytics, we are able to do something with um, this I have a quick question regarding the, uh, the report on the Alameda Prime Directive pullout. So, um, now we put the microphone closer. Oh, yeah, I have a question regarding the Alameda Prime Care Clinic. Uh, my understanding that this is under uh, Alameda Health Partners. Uh, Business that, unit? That is correct. Um, just a, as a comment on the report, is that my question is, is the physician that's there right now working on a part-time basis, and how many days a week um, is the physician there? Because if I'm reading the narrative, I believe the, the clinic opened in April, and uh, there's an average around five patients per week. Is this a typo? No, it is correct. Uh, just to answer the question, just to repeat the question, the question is whether the physician uh, is full-time and it is under Alameda Health Partners. It is under Alameda Health Partners. Physician is full-time. Uh, the clinic uh, just uh, got approved by the Alliance. Uh, after a site visit, there was some uh, recommendations which are being taken care of. and. Uh, the physician just got her board in internal medicine. Uh, the physician is going to get the uh, credential at Alameda Hospital, uh, so she's going to come to your medical staff. Uh, I had a communication with the Alliance yesterday, and uh, we have 
scheduling is ongoing, like uh, we have more scheduled patients next week, you know, after this phone call, we have eight scheduled patients, and we're going to uh, get back the 500 patients that were assigned to the provider when that provider left uh, two years ago, we're gonna do a recharge. So that's just happened in the past probably a week or 10 days. It's not as busy as, you know, we wanted to be, but it's gonna get we continue to observe it. And uh, you know, we had also a discussion with the OKR Medical Group just also for uh, you know, uh, cross coverage as needed or also involvement in this, uh, in this, in this space if, if it is needed. So uh, the Chair of Medicine, Dr. Baden, and, uh, and Palav have been involved in that. Thank you. I'll keep you coming. Um, there aren't any more questions on this slide. Sorry, one, one, one last yes. question I, which, I, which I say all the time is that you wrote a very nice narrative on workforce and, and mentioned Holly Garcia. I, I, I do know your SBU is not unique. None of the SBUs actually include workforce as, as a measurable pillar. The system, True North Metrics, does include one, yeah. or two items which are time to hire and turnover, but none of the individual SBUs do. And I, I want to reiterate uh, my personal belief in of managing our workforce and, 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 and considering that as a, an additional uh, metric within your SBU. Absolutely. And Holly has actually already been brainstorming ideas for, you know, we definitely intend to add it as a pillar on our SBU level dashboard and um, goals for this upcoming year. And they're just trying to figure out what's the most appropriate way cool. of measuring and reporting on it. Thank you. Um, I leave this slide in here mostly not because I find it incredibly helpful. It basically shows how many days you have to wait for a new patient appointment in these various specialties um, when you include our backlog. Uh, but mostly as a placeholder to talk about our improvements upcoming in specialty care. So in addition to the template redesigned work that we are doing, we are also continuing to work with the Rubicon and NextGen teams to help launch our Rubicon efforts. We've had great leadership from numerous specialists, um, including Dr. Bouquet, to help us really figure out, you know, it's a cultural shift to think about using e-consults um, and e-referrals from our current state. So how are we going to train folks? How are we going to provide everyone with the right tools and time that they need to perform this activity? Um, but all of those initiatives will be going live over the course of the summer and the fall. So we definitely will be tracking this more on a month-by-month -month basis as we make those interventions to really see where we are making a difference and making a dent. Paula, can you please remind the, the board of the CMS standard for specialty access? Yes. So um, there are actually DHCS standards, the Department of Healthcare Services, um, that apply to access for primary and specialty care for all healthcare organizations, not just the safety net. And for specialty care, patients, if they call to Novo for an appointment, whether that is a new appointment or a return appointment for whatever issue they're being followed for, they should be scheduled and seen within 15 business days. Um, what's the relationship between the number of days somebody is waiting and the number of patients who need the, who need the service? It depends really on the capacity. So obviously, you know, if it, some of our service lines have thousands of appointments a month, and so you could have thousands of patients coming in, but we have enough space for all of them. Another service may have one provider and only 50 patients coming in a month, but 
you know, it's too much for the amount of patients that are waiting. So it's really, when we look at the backlog, um, what we measure is how many patients are available or how many appointments are available in the month for that whole service line, you know, which may be multiple providers, it may be a single part-time provider, and then how much demand is there from the patients. Well, th that's what I'm wondering in terms of our knowing um, if, if, if the if the, if the individual, the doctor, um, if, when I see 128 days to have your eyes checked, uh, what immediately goes to me is I'm driving on the freeway with those people. So <laughs> that's what I look So I, I look and think, well, maybe that's only one person and I can avoid them. Or it could be a hundred people that it's taken them that long to get an appointment. And, and I know that's, that's comical in the explanation, but it seems to me that it makes a difference of how many people are waiting yeah. for that long to get an appointment. Absolutely, and we actually, on our weekly scorecard, we have that number of how many individual unique patients are waiting per service line. We can definitely look at incorporating that set data that's available as well as just how long in general. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah. And so, were you also implying that if the wait is long, that means it's not just the bandwidth, but the capacity of this clinic is not enough? And that's that exactly that. That's exactly my issue. Given that you have 100 people waiting to get their eyes checked, then we need to do something about getting more services to avoid so that that's just not a reasonable thing. And every one of you ought to be concerned driving home tonight. <laughs> and I will say, I think you know the two biggest um, trends that we're finding in specialty care, one, one is just a pure capacity issue. So we know for optometry, um, we have a contract with UC Berkeley that provides those services. And unfortunately, due to conditions beyond our control, um, UC Berkeley changed its regulations and its students are no longer allowed to work on Saturdays, so we have to close our Saturday optometry clinics, you know, which is leading to some of um, the backlog. And we're looking at other contracted providers and who can we find to come in and help fill that gap. Similarly, rheumatology, and Dr. Baden can tell you we've had one sole rheumatology provider and have been actively recruiting um, for a second one. So in some of these areas, it really is, we know we need more people, we have the dollars allocated to get more people, and we just have to find them and hire them. Um, and then the other thing is really, for the capacity that we do have, is that capacity being appropriately utilized? Yeah. And that's really where the e-consult equation comes in. I mean, I, I'm actually gonna ask Taft to weigh in to describe your experience. You know, you've had numerous GI patients that are scheduled who don't need to see GI. Right. Uh, in brief, we've had this discussion before about Rubicon and how we can we can actually give uh, we can give service without the patient actually physically coming in. It also relates to the the referral system. Uh, this lends itself to to less than optimal quality referrals because it's sort of a one way. They just make a referral when there actually could have been a dialogue behind it. So I I think uh, as Paula was saying, I think Rubicon. I I still supported this as a game changer for our system. Uh, need to be a little bit more patient because we're looking to mid-fall, late fall for this launch, and I, I, I think we will see direct impact within two to three months of it being uh, go live. And then I'm also going to invite Rachel to just talk about some of the referral guideline work you're doing with the ED, which I think is also really related to this and our primary care access. We formed a working group with our ED colleagues um, because they will not have access to Rubicon um, 
as a referral platform. And the reason for that is that the whole model is predicated on having the patient be in their continuous care, like in primary care, and a back and forth communication with the specialist provider. Knowing this, we wanted to accommodate the ED um, and their potential need to refer to specialty nonetheless. Um, so we've been working through a set of guidelines um, and have agreed on um, conditions that for which the patient should be referred back to primary care and conditions uh, for which uh, urgent referral to specialty before they could see primary care um, was indicated. And, and, and it's been really good. We've, we've um, I think, reached a consensus and now we're just working on the workflows. Yeah. Trustee Hernandez. Uh, just an observation. I mean, now we something about uh, the demands for care around diabetes in our region. To see that it takes 35 days for that, that is scary. Um, it, it, we know that that's really prevalent in our community, so uh, I'm concerned about the eyes too. <laughs> it's just that is something that we know uh, the demographics in our community are really struggling with. So. Absolutely, and some of that is a misnomer which we're already looking at because the same provider who works in our diabetes clinic, who's Dr. Pardini, our endocrinologist, also works in an endocrine clinic which has much better access. So we're trying to figure out, you know, what are the workflows where we can leverage that same person um, and reduce some of those problems. And for primary care clinics, sorry, continue. Um, most patients, probably 90% of patients with diabetes, are managed by the primary care providers, not, not within the specialty clinics. Okay. Yeah. And our access, fortunately, for primary care is quite Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Zero patients on the waiting list Great at Highland Adult Medicine. That's correct. That's really good. Trustee Charlie and Trustee Mayor. Yeah, and I'm going to assume that for many of these specialties, you have a way to, to better out the urgent versus non-urgent, especially yes. when I'm looking at this vascular access issue mm -hmm. and wondering who in vascular is waiting out that long, right? So, you know, there must be some that are kind of very non-urgent vascular, but I would think that on the other side, there are some that are very urgent. Right. All the urgent referrals are, are reviewed in a very timely manner. Is, is there some way to get a measurement of that to know that at least our urgents are, are getting taken care of in a very timely way? I don't know, I don't know how do you measure that or how do you? Um, it's probably very different based on service lines. Um, TAP can speak to maybe how they specifically manage urgent referrals on the GI service, and you can see they are quite impacted, but I, I yeah. think we're, we can be confident that we're still accommodating very urgent patients. Yeah, I would, I would we have, um, or I can do it, we have what basically spots that we hold for urgent referrals within the templates, and even with our, our template changes we're maintaining this, this allows us to accommodate very urgent patients and hospital follow-ups, those kind of things. So there is some give. This doesn't give the whole story. Right. We obviously still have a lot of work to do in specialty, um, but, but we're doing our best to accommodate the patients who have the most urgent need despite these access challenges. Yeah, and right now there's not much interoperability between Rubicon and Epic, right? So that is being something that will be worked out in our out-of-the-box Epic um, build so that, you know, as your clinics are going, there's going to be some seamless mistake. So, uh, Epic, uh, should we call, uh, I mean, sorry, Rubicon, should we call it consult? There is no, uh, no e-consult with Epic. We are in discussion with them how we're going to put this uh, consult in the electronic health records. Uh, and there are some solutions. Uh, we are thinking that probably Epic is going to buy Rubicon. 
different story. But I think uh, San Francisco General is also looking at an option for this because they are using Rubicon as well. Yeah, so the San Francisco General already launched on Rubicon. We'll be launching this fall. Epic out of the box does not have the type of e-consult functionality that we are talking about in this way. Um, and so the plan is currently when we launch on Epic, Rubicon will come with us. <coughs> It'll probably be a link out of Epic as currently it will be a link out of NextGen and that as we have IT capacity, there are systems who have built their own e-consult inside of Epic, but it's your own internal IT build. So we're exploring that too, but it probably won't happen with initial go-live. But then we'll make it. Yeah. And it will shoot, like if I'm seeing Rubicon, I'm seeing Rubicon console, and you need to see the patient, it will automatically be given a phone number. Oliver, time check, 10 minutes, we can do it. Yes. The main last agenda item is really just to be able to provide a little bit more detail and answer questions about the dermatology service restructuring. Um, oh, somehow we flipped the slide, slide, so I'm going to move ahead to the current state first. So as Dr. Baden alluded to earlier, in current state, um, as we've been looking at the service line, and you know we are committed to actually evaluating all of our service lines across ambulatory on a continuous basis, because I think there's always new things that we learn about our patients' experience about ways to optimize those service lines. Um, so I anticipate you know, we'll be doing similar deep dives into numerous other services in the future, but the opportunity to evaluate dermatology came up sooner. And in current state, a PCP or referring provider will see a patient who has a dermatologic need, they put in the referral. The patient is then scheduled for a specialty visit at either High, the majority at Highland, but some at Hayward and Eastmont. Um, so the patient will come in, the NP or PA who's staffing that telegram clinic then takes the photograph of whatever the lesion is and uploads it into the MedWeb application, which is a standalone product that does not integrate with any of our current EHRs or applications. Um, a remote dermatologist then evaluates that you know, within some time frame, gets back to the NPPA. Sometimes the recommendations are communicated to the patient by phone, sometimes the patient is scheduled for a follow-up appointment to then be given the recommendations from that dermatologist reading of the photograph. Um, and then if there's no response to treatment, then PRPA will consult further with the dermatologist. As Dr. Baden alluded to, we definitely have gotten um, feedback from our referring providers and the patients that sometimes that cycle can repeat itself a few times, resulting in numerous visits until the patient is seen um, by the dermatologist. So it just results in a lot of um, lag time and obviously for our patients getting here parking here, waiting to be seen here, um, is an added time commitment on their behalf. What we're hoping to do in future state is really make it as close to one-stop shopping as we can. So once we have Rubicon, through the Rubicon platform, which will have a mobile app, the primary care provider, or you know, if it's a specialist referring, whoever's making the referral can write then and there take a photograph whatever the derm issue is, that's why derm really lends itself to Teladerm really nicely. Um, and through the Rubicon application, you know, seamlessly send that off to our specialist. And then the dermatologist will directly review it and either let the PCP know, hey, you can treat this in primary care, just try this cream, try this ointment, you know, here's what we recommend. And then the patient can just continue getting managed in primary care without the need for a separate specialty visit, along with all of their other <coughs> conditions. Or 
if the dermatologist is concerned about whatever the diagnosis is or the initial treatment plan's not working, the patient will absolutely be scheduled for an in-person visit, but that visit will be with a live dermatologist so that any diagnosis that needs to be done can be provided right then and there. If a biopsy needs to be done, it can be provided right then and there um, and not necessitate further visits. Paula, would you mind going back to the current workflow state? And uh, for the trustees on uh, on her excellent summary on page four of her summary, which is page 131 of the document, it kind of outlines the finance of what we're doing to pay for this this current state, which by my back of the napkin looks around to 1.5. Does that sound right? Mm -hmm. well, sorry, 1.6. Yeah, and that is just for the contracted piece, so that does not include any other clinical support that AHS provides. So for all of these clinics, we have staffing support in the form of registration staff, medical assistance, um, occasionally nursing support, you know, just our overhead in terms of space, rental, IT support. Um, so all of those costs are not part of that 1.5. Okay. 1.6. 1.6 plus. Wow. Plus. <laughs> so, and then going back to the proposed future state for the trustees, there we go. Sorry, yeah, and in the proposed future state, you know, we're still in the recruitment process um, for a full-time dermatologist, but we anticipate being able to provide the same quantity and level of service for all the patients who need to be served um, for about half a million dollars. Can you say that again? <laughs> we'll let Rachel we say this, this, this new model will be saving approximately one million dollars. Okay. For a equivalent amount of access. For equivalent amount of access and service. And I and likely improved patient experience. Trustee Lawrence, I'm sorry, you had a question. Um, I, I did. You, you've mentioned a couple um, uh, positions that you're recruiting for, and it's been talked about in some of the others according to that. What, what seems to be the biggest hurdle in getting physicians to come to our system? That's a great question. So. Um, let me first say that we have been enormously successful in recruiting. Um, we've just re successfully hired five new hospitalists, a new cardiologist, and two new neurologists just in the Department of Medicine. Oh, and a hematology oncology guy. So we are successful. When we do encounter barriers, and we did in this year's recruiting encounter many in rheumatology, um, it usually boils down to one thing, and that's the cost of living here in, in the Bay Area. Um, and so, um, People like us, they like our mission, they love the idea of teaching, but it really boils down to can they afford to live here? Um, and I think that's, especially for someone who's straight out of fellowship and still has student loans, it's a real concern. The education system is having exactly the same issue throughout the, throughout the county, uh, trying, to get, trying to get teachers to come. Thank you. We have specialties, we really need to have the core mass, uh, and we don't have like, uh, Core mass, uh, like dermatology, just like we have like isolated dermatologists or isolated, and we're trying to partner with UCSF just to put a faculty appointment and uh, have you know, some residency locations that also make it attractive for, for, for physicians. So, on the fourth page of uh, Paula's uh, summary, it says that the current dermatology, we just saw that, uh, that workflow. Those services will end on June 30th, so that's in two days, uh, and uh, and on July 20th at East Montana. So, moving to the new model, um, uh, which is happening now, which is also nicely outlined in the last paragraph. Uh, so, 
questions to both Dr. Bakri and Dr. Baden. Do you have any concerns about uh, safety or quality in this interim period? So I don't have any safety or quality concerns. Obviously, you know, we recognize there is going to be an interim period that our current services uh, will end at Highland on June 30th at Hayward and Eastmont because that was a separate contract. We'll end for teledermatology on July 20th and then the live dermatology will end September 14th. So it is staggered, mostly just due to contractual issues. Um, but we have a really good interim plan, which I'll let Dr. Maiden describe, which we think will be able to provide comprehensive coverage to all of the high-risk patients we need to be served, as well as all of our HVAC patients. Yeah, so we worked really hard with the team to, um, to make sure that we have a very comprehensive transition plan. Um, and I'll sum it up as follows. Uh, we have identified that there are a number of patients who are currently in the care of our dermatologists that can be transitioned back to primary care. So we've identified those patients um, and uh, we'll be transitioning a number of them back for ongoing management to primary care. There are another, there's another subset who likely can be transitioned but may need future dermatology care in the future. And for those, we have transitioned them back to primary care and then have provided the primary care doctors with a list of dermatologists in our community who, can, who will accept our patients um, in a timely manner um, and, and, and so they can be supported in that manner. There, are a, there is a cohort of very high risk, very sick dermatology patients that exist here primarily at Highland. Um, and for those patients, we've given them what we call the Highland HUD. So they're getting a very warm um, handoff to uh, a dermatologist here at Highland, Dr. Elizabeth Ringrose, who's been here for over 40 years. Um, she practices urgent derm in our same day clinic. Um, together with Dr. Gigo, they are going to manage this very high-risk, high-utilized uh, population of dermatology patients. So that list exists. They are currently being scheduled with Dr. Ringrose and her team. These patients, for example, may be on biologics or other high-risk drugs for their dermatologic condition. So they would benefit from both the dermatologist and the internal medicine team that exists in the same day clinic. Um, so we are working on um, tra transitioning those patients as we speak. Uh, and then additionally, any of our health pack patients who need dermatology care during this transition period will also be seen by this team in the same way. Um, a second dermatologist will be starting in October part-time to help out. Um, and as we said, a uh, full recruiting, full core press is in the process to hire a full-time dermatologist. So if any of you know a dermatologist, please send them our way. <laughs> uh, trustees, any further questions? Maria, excellent report. Um, my standard work. Do you have any further comments, concerns, or suggestions that would help us in our mission to pursue the safest and highest quality care for ambulatory at Alameda Health System? None beyond what we've already talked about. Um, and I welcome, you know, again, feedback as to how we can modify what we're presenting for our next report. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for that. With that, we close item F. We move into item G, which is uh, planning and calendar. This is very short. Uh, our next QPSE is Thursday, July 26th. Uh, I'll ask our, our QPSE members to, to inform me about planning some time to end our vacations in August. We now will uh, move to meeting three trustees for quorum. Instead of four, with not for uh, trustee Lawrence uh, meetings. Uh, uh, the next uh, calendar tracking item is October 13th. That's the MEC retreat at Alameda Hospital. Um, uh, chiefs of staff are uh, I'm not trying to force ourselves on you. Is that is that something to engage the board with, or is that just uh, the NBC? Is do, does that need to be on the board calendar, uh, or have you not thought about that? Um, we certainly haven't thought about it. Okay, but you're more than welcome. 
you. Uh, with that, I'll close item G and we'll move to item H. Uh, Councilor. Yes, so the uh, board met the closed session and approved the Corvette uh, report from each of the committees presenting those candidates who were qualified for the commissions of the medical staff and took no other action. Thank you. With that, we close item H. We are 20 seconds ahead of time. That ends QPSC. Thank you, everybody. I'll make one note uh, one more time. Thank you to Trustee Lawrence for her service on the QPSC.